singing in front of people is like, I grew up doing that, so it's, it's easy for me. But speaking in front of people is different. As a kid, I was like the shyest kid ever. Yeah, believe it. It's true. True story here. Um, I was about five years old. Um, my sister, Anna, who passed away, was sick with cancer. And we had people coming to the house and stuff from Ronald McDonald House and bringing toys and stuff. Well, I was absolutely terrified. Santa came one Christmas. And we had, my sister Jessica probably remembers this, we had a, a chair in the living room. I was so terrified of people and being in front of people and having to talk to people that I would hide underneath the chair when people would come in. And they'd be like, where's, where's Kyle? Santa's here for some toys. And my mom would be like, he's under the chair. <laughs> so it was tough. And then I kind of... I kind of got out of it a little bit, and in college I took some communications classes, and they were like, hey, I want you to write, I want you to write a speech on a, a product. You've got to sell it to us, and it needs to be about 10 minutes long. This was my speech. This is shampoo. It cleans your hair. Buy it. Thanks. <laughs> Literally, that was it. So just trying to kind of lighten it up a bit because, you know, so I, can, so I can do this. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be up here this morning sharing my heart. And, and uh, I went through a couple things this week about what I was going to talk about, and I'm sure Lucas knows this, and he told me that you'll get, you'll get something in your mind at the beginning of the week. Lucas will probably come up with something tomorrow. Yeah, this can be good for Sunday. And then by Friday night, you're like, you went through like 10 different things. And you're like, okay, I finally got it now after, after 10 different things. But this morning I'm going to be speaking on uh, acts of worship, and I have a ton of scriptures for you. So if you have your Bibles or your iBible or you have it memorized, that's awesome too. Uh, first will be... Exodus thirty four fourteen. Let me read it to you. Don't worship any other God, because I, the Lord, the jealous one, am a jealous God. That's pretty much self explanatory there. God wants our attention so bad that he he doesn't there and we all know there's no other God before him, that he is the one true God, and he's the only one, um, only one that we should worship. Next one is uh, Matthew 4.10. Like I said, I'm going to be bouncing around here this morning, so bear with me. And there goes my notes. Thank you, Chris. Matthew 4.10. Now, this is when Jesus is uh, he's being tempted by the devil. And I'll, I'll, I'll read some verses ahead. The devil said, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all these things. And he's showing him all these things, kingdoms and stuff that he could have. And Jesus said to the devil, go away from me. Satan, it is written in the scriptures, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil left Jesus and the angels came and took care of him. Now somebody's probably saying, well, what, what is worship? Is worship uh, singing and playing instruments? Absolutely. But I'm here to shed some light on some other stuff that's worship. Um, as a musician, I use an instrument to get the sounds I want that will that are pleasing to the ear. Hopefully, you know, hopefully I can, you know, sometimes there's some notes in there as, as if you're an, as if you're a musician, you know, um, but we, we are, uh, God's instrument and he uses us for things. And all throughout the Bible, there's all different, there's instruments. You got Moses. I kind of think of him as maybe like a, like a, like maybe a trombone or a, a tuba, a tuba, um, Joshua, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Daniel. I mean, he's th- all throughout. He uses people to get his work done as an instrument. And uh, 
Yes. And, and, he, uses, and he uses us for, for his glory, um, while in our obedience to his strumming and picking is an act of worship back to him. And you know, sometimes uh, instruments can get untuned and stuff. So every once in a while, we'll have to you know, tweak us a little bit and, and, and get, us back, get us back into pitch. But before Christ, we were, we were, we were old. We were you know, the, maybe the old busted Willie Nelson guitar that's got the hole in it. Or you know, we were a pawn shop. But um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 um, tells us that um, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So at then... We're, we're starting to be refurbished, and we're the, everything's starting to change. New bridges put in, a new, a new uh, bone at the top where the strings can glide on, new strings and stuff. So he, use, he uses us in that as an instrument for his glory. Now, here are just some things that I picked out that, that we may not think of as acts of worship to God, but I believe they really are. And the first one is Proverbs thirty-four, fourteen. Parents, you're going to really like this one. If you do not punish your children, you don't love them. But if you love your children, you will correct them. Now, I believe, as a parent, disciplining your kids in love and in the Lord is an act of worship to God. It's being obedient to what he tells us to do, right? Is it true? Amen? So parents, you know, some, some words say, spare the rod, spoil the child. So, and trust me, as a kid, I got it. How many of you got, got spankings as a kid? How many of you got the anything handy spanking as a kid? Whether it be a shoe, a book... Uh, a pan, you know, it was just, it was whatever, whatever mom could reach, that's what was coming at you. And let me tell you what, that's worship right there. Praise, praise Jesus. Oh, man. I tell you what, I tell you what, that, that sometimes hurt. My, my, this, this side note, my dad, eventually, we kept on breaking sticks. Well, here's my cousin, he, you, who had to go pick their own switch as a kid? My cousin had the bright idea. His, his mom said, you need to go pick your own switch. He said, okay. He came back with a log. Let me tell you what. He, I, I don't think he, my cousin Jared ever got beat like he did there. His mom was just like, we ain't having this. Yeah. He's like, all right, you're going to hit me with a stick? I'll, I'll grab a tree branch, and we'll see what you do, Ma. The next one is Ephesians 6, 1, 4. All right. This is, this is I know we don't, all the kids are in the back, but Clint's here. So this is for the kids. Children, obey your parents as the Lord wants, because this is the right thing to do. The command says, honor your father and mother. This is the first command that has a promise with it. Then everything will be well with you, and you will have long life on the earth. So this tells me that obeying your parents is the fountain of youth. If you obey your parents, live. If you don't, they'll take you out. As we just discussed, they have the anything handy, and who knows what that will be. Uh, and next one is Colossians 3.23. And this is actually um, where I work. I work for Tim Timbercraft. This is actually on our, our building and trailers and everything. So this is kind of the Timbercraft, Timbercraft motto here. And it says, um, Slaves obey your masters in all things. Do not obey just when they are watching you to gain their favor, but serve them honestly because you respect the Lord. In all the works you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. So when you go to work and you're, and you're there doing your best, that's an act of worship to God. He's obeying, obeying his word and being, okay, God, I know my boss isn't here. I could be sitting down, drinking some coffee, you know, maybe playing on my phone, texting people, playing a little Candy Crush or something. But 
But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, and I'm going to do my best, Lord, because you told me to. Because I know even if my boss is not watching, you are, and I want to honor and worship you in this. Matthew 25, 31, 40. Bouncing around again. Um, the Son of Man will come again in his great glory with all his angels. He will be king and sit on his great throne. All the nations of the world will be gathered before him, and he will separate them into two groups, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The Son of Man will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to the people on his right, Come, my father has given you this blessing. Receive the kingdom God has prepared for you since the world was made. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was alone and away from home, and you invited me into your house. I was dead, I was without clothes, and you gave me something to wear. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the good people will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you food, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you alone and away from home and invite you into our house? When did we see you without clothes and give you something to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and care for you? Then the king will answer, I tell you the truth. Anything you did for even the least of my people here, you also did for me. Now, when we serve others, that's, that's worship towards God, whether it be caring for someone or, you know, seeing someone down and say, hey, why don't you, I'm going to buy you lunch today. Let's just, let's just go hang out and, you know, talk. You know, you tell me your problems. I'll pray for you. That, that, is, an act, that is an act of worship. Ephesians 5:21 and 33. This is for this is for wives and husbands. Sorry, right here. Yield to obey each other as you would Christ. Wives yield to your husbands as you do to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body, which is the church. As the church yields to Christ, so you wives should yield to your husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. To make it belong to God, Christ used the word to make the church clean by washing it with water. He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. He died so that the church could be pure and without fault, with no evil or sin or any other wrong with it. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. The man who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hates his own body, but feeds and takes care of it. And that is what Christ does for the church. Because we are parts of his body, the scripture says, so a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one body. That secret is very important. I am talking about Christ and the church. But each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. It's an act of worship, loving your wife. Wives loving and respecting your husbands, and same thing for husbands. Loving and respecting your wives is an act is an act of worship, obedience to God. And the last one is Psalms forty six ten. I really like this one. Psalms 46.10. God says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be praised in all the nations. I will be praised throughout the earth. So just being still and resting in the Lord is an act of worship.
you know, just turning off the TV, turning off your cell phone, grabbing your Bible, or even just sitting there and just and just thinking about the Lord and just pondering and letting Him speak to you is an act of worship. Each time we obey His words, we are playing our part in His great orchestra. You know, we're all the instruments. And in an orchestra, if you there's all kinds of there's all kinds of instruments, and there's sometimes the same instrument but just playing different parts. And if you listen to any of them, there could be something in there that's the, the smallest part, and you wouldn't think, well, that's that's nothing. Why do you need that? But if you take it out, you can hear the difference in it. If we are His child, then it's amazing to know that God, that the God of the universe, wants us to play a part in His opus, and an opus is an artistic work on a large scale. So God, right now, from the beginning of time to now, is, is, is formulating this great opus, this great orchestra that we are all, we're all playing a part in every day. Not just in here, not just playing instruments or, or buying gifts, but in your work, at your home. You know, whenever, being still, we're all in this together and we're all playing our part a part of his orchestra. And each day, he, he, he tweaks us a little more and gets us tuned. And one day, when we're on the other side of glory, we'll have perfect pitch, and we'll be praising him forever. So that's my heart this morning, and I hope it, I hope it touched your heart. And that, no, that's okay. Thank you. Is there some people in the room that are already starting to feel a little bit better? Oh, yeah, I know there is. Because there's just something about whenever you read the Word of God like that, whenever you open up the Scriptures, there's life in it. And it literally begins to change us from the inside out. There's something about the Word of God. When someone else is speaking it, when you hear it, when you, when you open up the Word, it just all of a sudden, things inside of us begin to Ooh, wow, there's something about that. Maybe I've heard it 20 times before, but man, right whenever Kyle said, be still and know, it was just like, that's for us right now at this moment. Let's work on that for a second. It was amazing. Part of God's plan, God's opus. I thought that was, that was a really cool, cool point. We're all part of his great symphony. Um, if you would, go ahead and open with, with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. We're going to get there in just a second. Hebrews and chapter 10 as we talk more about worship. Four reasons why we came together this morning and assembled as the church. If you were to open your Bible all the way to the beginning, Genesis through all throughout time, there are four elements that we see every time people gather together in, in, in searching and looking for God. And they were, these are the elements always throughout in every church service, in every meeting, in every gathering, every, every talking that happened when it came to God. And the very first thing is that they would expect to meet with God. That there was an expectation that God is going to show up. Now, he showed up in all different types of ways, in all different types of places. He went from a tent to a tabernacle, 
from a tabernacle to a temple to meeting in the streets into meeting with people in their homes into meeting people well in caves and in deserts and in all different types of places and there was the expectation that god would draw near so there's always a meeting of god there's always a sacrifice there's always a sacrifice that takes place it, and it, and it came in all different types of forms and all different types of ways from goats and rams and bulls and and doves and and yet then we also find in forms of people bringing their grain offering, their fruit offering. We find a woman breaking open this beautiful fragrance at the feet of Jesus. So there's, there's fragrances, there's oil. And, th- and then we find David saying, well, listen, I bring a sacrifice of praise. And so there's, all, can we just go ahead and cut the base thing off? I think maybe it's the base cabinet that's uh, feeding back or something too. Um, so there's all, all of these different types of sacrifices that are going on. And then, so people would come, there would there'd be expectancy to meet God. There would be an expectancy to sacrifice to God. But then there would also be the knowledge that we are going to learn something about God. So it would come through the form of a priest. Or it would come from a rabbi. Or it would come from a disciple. Or a soldier. Or just a common person on the street. Or it would come in the form of, well, it would come in the form of a sermon. Or it would come in the form of a story. Or it would come in the form of the scriptures being read. Or in some cases where they were actually writing the scriptures. And so there was all of these different ways in which people were learning about God. And so they came to meet God, sacrifice to God, learn about God, and then worship God. And the worship, see, there, there's worship all throughout the Bible, all throughout history. As a matter of fact, it's something that's not exclusive to Christianity. Whether you're Muslim or Hindu or any we all worship something. There's something ingrained within us that desires to worship. And here's the thing is sometimes I think we get so caught up on how we worship, we forget the main point is who we worship. You see, the who is where we're competing with, and it's not even a competition, but in the sense of, well, there's, there's all these different types of religions and there's all these different answers of how things came to be and whether it's uh, through Muhammad or, or Allah or, or Buddhism or the Dalai Lama or all of these different things. They're saying this is who we worship. This is how we do it. And so they offer certain answers to certain questions in which we all have. And so we, as a Christian community, probably the most out of any other world religion, argue the most not about who, but about how. And so we have broken up into all of these different denominations that says, this is how we worship God. And so some do it this way and some have it this way. And and then we kind of get in, when someone worships a little bit different than we do, it kind of makes us, wait a second, I don't know about that. And we forget that the who is more important than the how. Who we worship. Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, making those who approach perfect. For when when would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers 
once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, in other words, saying again, sacrifices and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offerings according to the law. And he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This work that Jesus did. Hold on to that. A few weeks ago, we are taking a walk around the neighborhood. Uh, and by we, I say me and my wife and my daughter is not so much walking, but she is strolling in the stroller that we got at Walmart with the worst wheels possible. Because I think they designed them to just rocks will insert themselves and they will just kind of slide. <laughs> And you're trying to fix the wheel. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so we're riding or we're walking, we're riding and we go take a lap around the neighborhood. And on the way back, it just so happens that the sun is in this direction and it's shining down. And so my daughter begins to notice all of the shadows. She's looking at all, all these shadows on the ground. And then dad has this awesome idea. Oh, it's shadow puppet time. And so I'm like making really cool. I'm like, hey, Kobe, this is a spider. And this, oh, that's the dog. Oh, and this is a balloon with a little guy in it. And then, you know, so I'm doing all of these things. But then there's, she's like trying to take her finger and reach out and kind of touch the shadow, but she can't. And so like I'm doing the dog one. And then all of a sudden I bark at her and it scares her. She thinks the dog is going to get her, you know? And so like, I'm like, oh no, I'm a good parent really. And, and you know, I'm trying to show her, but she's not getting it. She's afraid of the shadow puppet dog. And so later on we go into the bedroom and, and dad's like, we're going to, we're going to work on this thing. And so we have a flashlight and we cut the lights out and we're doing it and I'm doing, doing the dog again and the Everything else I think can think of with my hands. And then she's looking at it again and she's, she's trying to touch the shadow. She keeps like walking towards the wall and she's getting closer and closer, but she can't quite do it. And she's kind of confused, but then she's looking at me and then she sees, oh, wait a minute, there's this light. And then she starts making all these little shadow puppets. And it's just like this amazing little moment we had and the dog didn't scare her anymore. And uh, so we're just, we're just having this, this this moment with the shadow puppets. And, and here it says, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come. So the law. And, and when it's speaking of the law, it's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. 
If you were there, we're talking about the entire book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is laced with over 600 different types of laws. So it says the law, all of these things that the Old Testament is talking about, all these different rules and regulations that the people were living by, it's saying like, this is just a shadow of things to come. In other words, it's not the real thing, but it's to point us towards the real thing. It's a shadow. It's a shadow of things to come. All of these, the tents and the tabernacles and the temples and all of these laws, everything that went on with, with, with the sacrifices. And there was this huge altar and, and it was filled with lots of blood and lots of death. And all of these things, God's saying, this is pointing us somewhere to someone, to Christ who would one day be the ultimate sacrifice who would shed his blood. And so they're coming in and and he's given them this whole new look on everything they've been doing. They've been trying so hard to really chase the shadows because after all, if I could just do a, B, C and D, then God will be pleased with me. After all, we have this thing, we have the law and, and all of the, and so there, there was easily mistaking the shadow for the real thing. And like my daughter, here's the thing about shadows, the closer and closer you get to them, the farther and farther away they go. And you can never quite capture it. Shadows are never tangible. They're never real. They're never right there. And so there's this reality in the scriptures that he's showing us. Listen, there's these sacrifices that are being, con- being offered continually, daily, yearly. But these sacrifices have an inherent problem with them. And that's the fact that they have to be offered daily, yearly, ritually, by every, uh, every certain time of the year, every season, every great feast. We have to do these things. So, so, just in itself, that whole entire process lets you know that something within the system is broken because it was supposed to be for redemption of sin. But if I have to do it again next year, well, there's still sin and I have to do it again and I have to do it again. So there's this system on a loop and it's kind of like groundhog day and the same day happens over and over again. And there's this kind of loop where we're just waiting and the priest will lay his hands on the scapegoat And I'm good, well, for a few minutes until I do something else because there's this, this law and this is how I live by. And in verse two, he's saying, listen, this is the problem with him. It is not in verse four. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said this sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. And if you're there You're hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, whoa, wait a minute. Absolutely, this is what you desire. We have an entire book of all of these laws telling us this is how you please God. We offer these sacrifices. We do these things. We do A, B, and C. We have our little checklist. And this is how we know we're in good standing with God. And Jesus is coming on the scene saying, I don't want any of that. Wait a minute, what do you want? So if you're there, you're you're very confused. Wait a minute, we're trying our best to do this thing right. Because what had happened is because this loop, this system, this continual offering up of sins and looking for things to happen over and over again created this mindset of where the shadows became the real thing. 
where everything became about this is how we appease God. Well, we offer more fruit. We offer more grain. Well, we, and if things in our, in our life start to go wrong, well, that means we just haven't appeased God enough. We, need, we just need to offer more. We need, to, we need to kill a bigger bull. We need to have a better goat. We need to do something because obviously something's wrong. God is angry at us. And so we, we've done something. So the offerings just kind of continually increase. And there's this feeling of, man, how are we going to break this cycle, this loop? And he's coming and saying, listen, the offering of these bulls and goats, they can never do it. They can never take it away. How often do we, on this side of the cross, 2,000 years later, think the same way they did back then? How often do we associate being blessed by God with his approval? Oh, if, if something happens to us, oh, if we get a check in the mail or if, or, if, or if we get a good report from the doctor or if something really good happens to us, well, then God must be very happy with us. And then the opposite is true. How often is it that we think if we're suffering, it's, it's a form of God's disapproval? Well, I must have done something wrong. Look at all of these things that are going wrong in my life. I, I, I'm not blessed. Or, or all these things are happening. You see, we've created the same system and we're just doing it a different way. Now, I know you can't really amen right there at that point because it's something that within all of us, especially here in America, it's created this culture that says this is what being blessed looks like. And so there's this expectation of these are the certain things that have to happen for me to be blessed. And whenever the opposite happens, well, obviously something must be wrong with me and God. Well, man, we're, we're going through this thing. Uh, Dan is, is hurting this morning. What has he done wrong? Nothing. The reality is you could be blessed at all times and in all things. And that, that's a huge, huge lesson to learn. Something that they were struggling with back then. It's something that we're still struggling with now. If we begin to think that we are blessed and it shows us as God's approval, or if we think that we suffer, it's God's disapproval, we're going to miss it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that, and yet it fills our thinking. And when we do that, we end up chasing shadows. When we come and we look to maybe our pastors or, or we've turned this thing called church or, or music or the band into the end all, we, we find ourselves seeking the process instead of seeking the end. See, it's like my daughter with, with that flashlight and she's trying so hard, but there's that moment where she turns around and she sees daddy's the one holding the light. Daddy's the one making the dog puppet. And the reality is that shadow is to point to the father. And so when Jesus comes in, he's saying all of these things, this law, everything that you've been living by your checklist, that will not save you trying to do all these things, giving me all of these sacrifices and all of these offerings, a sacrifice offering. I don't desire that. All these things, it's to point to me that you would simply fall in love with dad. The one who is making the shadow, the one who is making things bright. Jesus 
changes it all. And so much, this is so powerful that the writer repeats it in verse 8. Previously saying, sacrifices, offering, burnt offerings, you had no desire nor pleasure in them. And then in parentheses, which are offered according to the law. In other words, which are offered according to this checklist kind of Christianity that says this is how you act and this is how you appease God. In other words, let me give you a modern translation of this verse. If you are attending church, if you think that you can sing a little bit louder, give a little bit more more money, and in some way this will earn you your place with God, he takes no pleasure in it. And yet sometimes that's the exact same thing that we've been taught. That my salvation, my good graces with God is all based upon what I do. And in verse 11, it's saying, every priest stands offering daily these sacrifices and they can never take away sins. So the question, naturally, if I was there, for, if I was hearing this for the first time and wow, you just totally rocked everything that I thought for the last couple thousand years and all of these laws. Well, well then why do I have to do any of it at all? Why, why go to church? Why attend the temple? Why, why listen to the rabbi or the teacher or the priest? Why, why do any of these things if God has no pleasure in it? Well, well, he, he says this, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So in other words, he has done it once and for all, made perfect, but yet for us, we are being made sanctified. For us, it's a process. You ain't there yet. You're saved, you're on your way to heaven, you love Jesus, but you ain't perfect. He is. And so we need all the help we can get. And we do these things. We worship God, we look for him, we give sacrifices, we give out of our heart. We've got a, a huge corner here full of gifts, gifts from the sacrifices that were given to young kids this Christmas season. But we're not doing it out of guilt. We're not doing it because we're trying to, in some way, appease God. We're doing it because he is good, and I just love Jesus. And in no way am I trying to earn my salvation. In no way am I trying to get something out of you, God. I'm just doing it because you are. And I just love you. That's a huge game changer when we could get to that point. When we realize that we don't have to earn anything that you already are loved. You don't have to earn his love. He loves you. When I worship God, it's nothing about what I can get out of him. I'm no longer chasing shadows. I don't follow the routine because that's what I'm supposed to do. Or it's because in some way I'm trying to earn something or become better or want blessings. I do it because... It all points to him. And whenever our preaching and whenever our worship and our, our drummer and our keyboard and our guitar players, uh, whenever we cease to stop pointing people to Jesus, that's when we stop being a church. That's when we stop doing everything that God intended for us. All of this is to point to him. And we can't earn it. And so maybe this morning there's some people in here that might feel like, Lucas, just to be honest with you, you know, it feels like an obligation. In some ways I am trying to kind of earn my salvation, try and pay a few penance, or when I worship there's something that's just kind of inauthentic about it, and and I don't know what to do. My suggestion would be to do the same thing that my daughter did with me, to look to the Father.
to look to the one that it all points to. Because here's the thing. Here's what I believe. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And here's the test to know that if you are truly satisfied in God, if you're fully satisfied in God, it doesn't matter what type of music the band plays. It doesn't matter what type of preaching the preacher does. It doesn't matter what type of building the church meets in. It doesn't matter if you're having a good day or a bad day. It doesn't matter if you're black or if you're white. It doesn't matter if you lose your job or if you get a promotion. It doesn't matter if you live in a big, huge mansion or if you live in a van down by the river. It doesn't matter because he is good. No matter what. And I'm going to ask the band to come back up here. And we're going to play that song one more time. Cornerstone. And we're going to worship because he's good. In the midst of it all. One offering. He has perfected forever. Those of us who are being sanctified. If you close your eyes for one moment too. As I was praying this morning, I just kind of felt like I had a word to share for, not for everybody, but there's a few people that I think this is really going to hit home with. That you've been living this Christian walk for a while. And you've looked to other people, other brothers, other sisters, other employees, other co-workers family members and you've seen the potential inside of them you've seen all that man god wants to do and you want so much to help and you've been trying so hard to bring out that potential in them but you've yet to realize the potential that's already right there Sometimes it's so easy to turn a person into a project. People aren't projects. You can't change anybody. Matter of fact, you can't even change yourself. You need Jesus. They need Jesus. And so maybe for that person that you've tried so hard and and you find yourself so frustrated because they're not where you want them to be. I feel like God's saying, take them where they're at right now. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's up to him. He'll bring it out in his good time. And his way. You can't do it. You are not good enough. But the great news is. There is one. And he has offered one perfect sacrifice. One perfect offering. Forever. That those of us. Whom now find ourselves being sanctified by His grace and His mercy and His love. Christ alone.
the hope of glory. You are farther than you think. You are farther along than you think. And maybe you've just been trying for so long to chase the shadows. You've been trying to, to, to go after something that never was your place to go after. But the whole time, it's to point you to Him. And I think this morning, God is changing your focus. God is saying, listen, it's, it's not about A, B, and C, D. It's not about checklist Christianity. It's not about because you don't do drugs or you don't cheat on your wife or you, you don't do these things, you don't steal, kill. You're, you're, you're saying all these things. That doesn't make you good enough. They're all just shadows of the one who brings true light. And so this morning, if we'd all stand, and when we sing this song, Christ alone, cornerstone, that's exactly my prayer for my life. That God, nothing else in my life is built on anything. It's not built upon my good works. It's not built upon the, the things that I think I'm doing right or wrong with, but it's built on you, Christ alone. on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on.